Welcome to The Word at First Pres. During the fall, we're doing a sermon series called Making Peace with the Pandemic. Each week, we're going to examine a different aspect of how the pandemic has changed our lives. We're going to reflect on our experiences and process what we've gained and lost. Thanks for listening. Our first uh, reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, They went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately, the man stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Our second scripture today comes from Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
During the fall, we are doing a sermon series calling, called Making Peace with the Pandemic. Each week, we are going to examine a different aspect of how the pandemic has changed our lives. Some of us have struggled in really challenging ways. Other u- others use the pandemic as an opportunity to reset their priorities. The goal of this series is to talk about what happened to the world, what happened to us, and how faith can guide us towards healing. Each week, we will begin our sermons with an interview of members of our congregation. This interview will set the stage for what we are talking about for the rest of the sermon. The people who did these interviews were extraordinarily vulnerable. And so if you see them, please thank them for what they've done. Today, we begin with Kim Hogan and Sharon Ferdinand. Kim is a nurse practitioner, and Sharon is a graphic designer who is also tasked with caring for her husband. Let's hear what they have to say. The World Health Organization has declared coronavirus a global pandemic. More than 3,700 people have now been added to the COVID-19 death toll in New York City. COVID-19 has battered the global economy, causing the worst recession since the Great Depression. COVID has killed more people in one day than the number of people killed on D-Day. I'm a nurse practitioner and I work for the NCH Medical Group, which is uh, an internal medicine group. Lots of offices, it's affiliated with Northwest Community Hospital. And I happen to work in a big office in the north part of Arlington Heights. And I would see patients as walk-ins primarily with two or three other nurse practitioners and physician assistants, taking care of people coming in with any number of different diseases, complaints, sore throats, high blood pressure, abdominal pain. My husband has had Parkinson's disease for the last 10 years. And Parkinson's is a neurodegenerative disease that some people think, at least I thought, it was really just that you had shakes. My husband doesn't actually shake much, but it's like you can have a lot of stiffness where he shuffles and he can't stand up straight, you're fatigued, um, you lose your fine motor movements, that kind of thing. You can have hallucinations and delusions and obsessive thoughts or paranoia. So it's a very complicated um, disease. We knew that it was coming here. It was going to be here. So I was in on a phone call with the director of our medical group um, who was talking about the situation and she said, you know, I think what we're going to do is put together a clinic and we need to do this really quickly. We need to have a place where we can see these patients, uh, decide whether or not they're sick enough to go to the emergency room, evaluate them, try to ease the burden. And we need to put this together by like next week. And it was let that, that quick, that quick. I actually thought the idea of working in a clinic like that would be incredibly interesting, so I volunteered for it. I, I remember the first few huddles in the morning, we would have these group huddles at seven in the morning before patients started coming in, and all of us looking around at each other. I, I remember thinking, how are we gonna do this? How is, how, 
what's going to happen here? How, how is this going to go? Originally, the clinic was only supposed to be open until June 1st but it turned out to remain open until March of this year, so almost exactly a year. And that's what I did for that past year. Uh, I took care of COVID patients. For Parkinson's, two of the main things you to keep you healthy, you keep moving and you keep social. As with many people, those two things can't happen in the same way, especially the social interaction. So it kind of acerbated all the other parts of Parkinson's that I just told you about got worse, definitely. So he sees different doctors on a fairly regular basis, and the main doctor that's really important is his Parkinson's doctor, and she would always want to see his movement, how he could walk or whatever, so I'd be following around with my camera, and <laughs> it was not always optimal. The toll for me was probably in the role that I had. We called the paramedics quite a bit. Um, we had uh, at least seven or eight patients, maybe more that we saw in our clinic, wind up needing to go to the hospital and wound up dying. This guy in his 30s brought his dad in to our clinic who's having a terrible time breathing. Um, we called the paramedics to transport the father to the hospital and our, my clinic manager happened to notice the son who was standing there next to the ambulance that was loading his dad up, breathing very heavily and turned out he had a fever and she says you need to come in and be seen sir. So I wound up seeing him. Um, we sent him to the ER and both of them passed away. We had people come in to our clinic in the spring especially that would collapse in front of our receptionist because they were just so sick. There is no place to go. There was no doctor would see anyone with COVID symptoms. And so a lot of these people were a little bit lost in the system. Things can change day to day. And part of it is the um, medicine is really strong. You have to be sure that you're taking it at the right time in the right dose. And so he has maybe four times a day. So I have to be there for that and make sure he's taking the right medicines at the right time. If I would uh, mess up a dose or something, I mean, it could get really awful because some of the medicine to make him function physically better would impact his cognitive. And so sometimes he would get confused and he didn't always um, appreciate my, my nagging, I guess, it, because it would be um, something he thought he could do himself, but he couldn't do himself. So, so it was frustrating, I guess. People were so very grateful to just sit down in front of someone. We would talk kind of like you and I are talking. I'd have all my stuff on. I might be the first person that would actually touch them or lay a stethoscope on them since they got sick. Mostly what I would do is reassure them. I got asked a lot of times, if, uh, can you, am, am I going to die from this? And I would always say, not today. <laughs> you know, the, the gratitude in people's eyes when you're able to do that is what replenishes my batteries. I would ask you to, you know, from my perspective, it would be to listen to the experts, accept some discomfort, accept some sacrifice, small sacrifice, because if you do that, you really will protect the people around you. And that is, I mean, we're a community and I can't stress that enough. People think, okay, when we get to the end of this, when it's on the other side, but I felt like 
it's not really another side for us. I mean, it'll get better in the sense that we can go to things to be with other people, but um, because of the nature of it, it isn't gonna get better. I think I'd say because his friends were so crucial to his um, well-being, I'd say be pay attention to those people that may like really need you and you think you're not doing a big thing just by hanging out, but it could be really important for someone. I remember I was coming home from the gym one morning several months ago and I was listening to the radio. WBEZ was doing a series on how the pandemic had impacted people's lives and the episode was on this very topic. Different people were telling stories of how the process of caring for their loved ones had completely up and been upended by the pandemic. The one that really stuck with me was a woman who was caring for her mother who had Alzheimer's. She was used to taking her mom out to the senior center for breaks. When the pandemic lockdown began, she was with her mom 24-7. And her mom became even more confused because she had been knocked out of her routine. She said constantly being at home with her mom felt like being trapped in a prison with no possibility of escape. I will be honest with you, until hearing that story, I had never even considered what it would be like to care for someone in that position. What I had been focused on all this time was what Kim Hogan was talking about. How do we care for people who have contracted COVID-19? And it just so happens that the same day I heard that interview, I was meeting with Sharon Ferdinand for communications planning. I mentioned this was one of the topics that I wanted to include in my fall sermon series, and she said, well, that's my issue. As you heard her talk about, she has been caring for her husband who has Parkinson's disease. What you could probably hear in her voice is how the pandemic put all of the pressure of caring for her husband on her. Whereas previously, Sharon could spread out that care through the various services her husband utilized, now she was a one-stop shop. Indeed, one of the biggest challenges beyond even the care itself, where you heard her talking about the challenges of administering the medicine, was the fact that people with Parkinson's need to be out and about. They need to be active to keep their brains stimulated. Sharon's husband used to go to the gym or spend time with his friends, but with the pandemic, now she was his only social outlet. Understandably, Sharon is exhausted. You can hear it in her voice. Day in and day out, she never really got a break. And she suffered like this in silence. I don't think she would have ever mentioned it to me unless I had brought it up at our meeting. And at one point, I asked Sharon, how do you do it? How do you get up every day facing this uphill battle with these heavy responsibilities, knowing that this progressive disease will only get worse? How does it not break you? Sharon's response was amazingly simple. He is my husband, and I love him. <laughs> <laughs> 
And when push comes to shove, I would do anything for him. We see this kind of love in the story we read today from the Gospel of Mark. To provide a little context, Jesus had been out and about preaching about the kingdom and healing the sick. And his reputation has spread so much now that people are beginning to seek him out. When Jesus returns to the town of Capernaum for some rest and relaxation in Peter's house, people begin to swarm around the door. In fact, there are so many people seeking Jesus' help that Jesus can't even stand in front of the door to address everyone. He is forced inside by the crowd. Well, in the midst of all this, there's a guy who is paralyzed who wants to be healed by Jesus. Being paralyzed at any time in history is challenging, but being paralyzed in the ancient world is incredibly difficult. There was no thought of helping those with disabilities, like what we're trying to do with a wheelchair lift in our memorial prayer garden hallway. In fact, depending on the severity of the disability, it was not uncommon in the ancient world to euthanize the disabled because the burden on the family would be too great. So it's important for you to understand that having a disability, particularly one where you could not walk, meant that you were living your life on the margins. And you will notice that in this story, it is not the man's family who is trying to get him through the crowds to see Jesus. Instead, four friends are carrying him on a stretcher. Although we can't say for sure, it is likely that this man was cared for by his friends. They are there for him day in and day out, just like Sharon is there for her husband. They see an important opportunity with Jesus being in town. Perhaps Jesus could heal their friend. Unfortunately, the crowds are so great that there is no way that they're going to be able to get their friends through that to see Jesus. So they come up with a plan. Rather than break through the crowd and go in the front door, they will go around to the back of the house, climb up on the roof, lift their friend up onto the roof, tear a hole in that roof, and lower their friend down to see Jesus. Now that, my friends, is love. They will do anything to help their friend find some release from the burden and when Sharon told me her story, I immediately thought of this parallel in the Bible. Sharon's love for her husband and the friend's love for the paralytic are the same in nature. They are both willing to do anything to see their loved ones healed. Which raises an interesting question. To what lengths are we willing to go to heal those who are struggling in our lives? I think that when it comes to family, most of us are willing to do just about anything to help them. But what about people who are outside of our families? What about your friends or acquaintances or even strangers? This is where Kim's story comes into play. From the first time I came to this church, I realized that Kim was a force. She is a deeply caring person, 
And it's in her nature to just jump right into the fray. As you can hear from her interview, give her a challenge and she will rise to the occasion. Most people, given the opportunity to work with COVID patients, would understandably run in the opposite direction. But Kim walked straight into the chaos. And she's not the only one. So many of our medical personnel put their lives in danger to care for us. They were around this virus all the time and were doing everything in their power to save anyone who was sick. We owe them a debt of thanks for what they did and what they continue to do to save so many lives. However, I want to focus for a moment on Kim's reflections on performing these assessments. If you remember, she said that when people would come to her with symptoms, they would often ask her, am I going to die? That is such a heavy question to lay on someone's shoulders. Personally, I love her response, which was, not today. It is both true and honest, but it does not give them some false hope. I can relate to being in her position of being asked questions like that because I've been asked the question by someone who was dying, do you think I will go to heaven? My response was, I'm not God, but based on the life that you've led, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Now, if TC asked me this question on his deathbed, <laughs> I would probably give him a different answer. You know, you don't want to give people false hope. <sighs> Last time I'm going to do something for him. Another aspect of Kim's interview that I want to highlight is how for some of her patients, she was often the first person who had touched them in a while. In our world today, because we are rightfully worried about inappropriate touching, we are erring on the side of keeping our hands to ourselves, which was made even more acute by the pandemic and not wanting to spread germs. But humans are not really designed to go without person-to-person -person contact for long periods of time. It can be destructive to our emotional well-being. Now, to be clear, I am not talking about sexual touch. I am talking about a handshake, a hug, a pat on the shoulder. These things are important because they make us feel alive. And when that gets stripped out of your life, you start to feel disconnected, isolated from the world around you. This is something that happened a lot with the people who Jesus healed. Many of the people who sought Jesus were people who had diseases that rendered them untouchable. For instance, if you contracted leprosy, you had to abandon your family and your friends. Indeed, you were expected to carry a bell around your neck. And every time you went into a public space, you had to ring that bell and yell, unclean, unclean, 
to let people know that you were nearby. And like a bomb raid, when that bell would go off, everyone would scatter. Therefore, when Jesus went to heal these people, like Kim, he was often the first person to have touched them, possibly for years. Just the willingness to touch those who were untouchable is incredibly healing in and of itself. But like Jesus, Kim has the ability to offer actual healing to her patients. In the world that we stepped into in the pandemic, I think it takes a lot of bravery for us to jeopardize our own health to enhance the health of others, particularly the health of strangers. It's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, and in many ways, I see our healthcare professionals as walking in Jesus' footsteps by taking a leap of faith and setting aside their needs for the needs of others. Indeed, caring for the needs of those who are sick is part of our calling as Christians. We read this morning from Matthew 25, and I try to talk about Matthew 25 at least once a year because it is so central to our walk as Christians. This particular section of Matthew 25 describes a scene where Jesus is sitting in judgment of all the humans on earth. Those whom Jesus loved are referred to as the sheep, and those who Jesus rejects are called the goats. In this scene, Jesus is separating the sheep and the goats. The criteria Jesus uses to determine whether or not you are a sheep or a goat is based not on what you believe, but rather on what you did with your life, how you acted. And Jesus is very specific about the actions he expects from others feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, caring for the sick, and visiting those who are in prison. Jesus says, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Now you'll notice that within this list is caring for the sick. Part of the calling of the Christian life is that we don't have an option not to care. We have to be there for those who are struggling. But in the midst of this pandemic, this has been really hard to do. The title of this sermon is called Caring Paralysis. And the reason why it's called that is not only because of Sharon's story, where caring for her husband has immobilized her from being able to live her own life in many ways. It is also called that because we've stopped caring for one another. I've mentioned in past sermons that when we are isolated from each other, we lose touch with our empathy, our sympathy, our compassion. We have to be in community to feel empathy, sympathy, and compassion. Because being in community causes friction, and friction helps us to see the world from opposing perspectives. But when we're isolated, we start to turn inward, 
and we become myopic, only really caring for ourselves. It's a bit paradoxical. You have to be with people in need to care for them, which leads me to the point of this sermon. My hope and my prayer for you this morning is that one, you would do what Sharon said and just reach and spend time with people who are isolated and alone. That can mean the world to them and make such a huge difference. Two, you need to get in the fray like Kim. Now, I don't mean go work on a COVID unit if you are not qualified to do so. I mean get into the mess of people's lives. Get into the problems that they face. Don't fold in on yourself. Don't shy away from hard situations. God has given us a great responsibility as Christians, and it is important for us to remember, if we want to be a sheep and not a goat, then serving others needs to be our top priority. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.